0: It's the Code St. Luke telephone broadcasting service and podcast for Monday, June 15, 2020. On today's episode, we have the morning book review with Kathy Diamond. She's going to be speaking about the book, The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead.
1: Whitehead's seventh novel, The Nickel Boys, was published in July of 2019, and it has recently won the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for fiction. So this is really quite an accomplishment. His last two novels, both The Underground Railroad and now The Nickel Boys, both received the Pulitzer Prize for fiction.
0: Nick Burgess is back with more Broadway happy hour. On this date in history, on June 15, 1974, All the President's Men by Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward was released. It, of course, detailed their Watergate investigation into the Nixon administration. On June 15, 1991, the Bloc Québécois was formed. It was the first federal political party in Canada supporting the secession of Quebec. On June 15, 1992, you may remember this, Vice President Dan Quayle was at an elementary school in Trenton, New Jersey, for a spelling bee. Yes, you remember this. You see where I'm going with this, right? Well, a child had to spell the word potato, and the child spelled it correctly, but unfortunately, Vice President Quayle had been given a card with the spelling of the word potato done incorrectly. The card he was given potato had an extra E at the end, which it does not have in reality. Uh, and uh, Vice President Quayle corrected the child and it became a little mini scandal because of course he didn't know how to spell the word potato. But in fairness to him, in fairness to him, when you write potatoes, plural, it does have an E. There is an E in there. So I can sort of see how he uh, got confused by that. Plus, he was given a card that had it wrong, and he probably didn't want to trust his own judgment. He probably wanted to trust uh, the teacher's card. Who wouldn't want to trust a teacher? Anyway, he did. He made a mistake, and it was a scandal. But remember when that was the worst scandal that there was coming out of the United States? Those were the days. 1992. Good year. Uh, Also in 1992, former Montreal Expo's uh, relief pitcher, Jeff Reardon, broke uh, Raleigh Fingers' save record. He became the number one all-time save leader in major league baseball at 342 saves he'd end his career with 367 saves looking at the numbers today jeff reardon is currently 10th on the all-time saves list so way to go terminator here is kathy diamond with the morning book review
1: good afternoon my name is kathy diamond and i am here On behalf of the Eleanor London Cote St. Luke Public Libraries, Monday, used to be Monday Morning Monthly Book Club, now it is Monday Afternoon Monthly Book Club. Last month, I talked about a book by Canadian author Michael Ondaatje, which was called Warlight, and today I would like to present Colson Whitehead's novel, The Nickel Boys, When I selected this title many months ago, I had no idea how particularly relevant the book would be today. And when I tell you a bit more about the book, you will see what I am referring to. Colson Whitehead is considered to be one of America's best contemporary novelists. He was born in New York City on November 6th. 1969, and grew up in Manhattan. He is one of four children to successful entrepreneur parents who owned an executive recruiting firm. As a child, he went by his first name, Arch, later switched to Chip before switching to Colson, which is the name that he writes under and refers to himself today. He attended the elite prep Trinity School in Manhattan and then went on to study at Harvard University, where he graduated in 1991. Today, Mr. Whitehead lives in Manhattan and also owns a home which he very much enjoys in Sag Harbor in the Hamptons on Long Island. His wife is a literary agent and the couple have two children. After leaving college, Mr. Whitehead wrote for The Village Voice, the publication The Village Voice, and while he was working there, he began drafting his first novels. He has since produced nine book-length works, seven novels, and two works of non-fiction, including a meditation on life in Manhattan in the style of E. B. White's famous essay Here is New York. His first book was published in 1999 and it's entitled The Intuitionist and books came pretty regularly afterwards. One was called Sag Harbor published in 2009 and in, 19, in sorry in 26 2016, his book, The Underground Railroad, which earned him a National Book Award for Fiction, as well as a Pulitzer Prize, became a bestseller, New York Times bestseller, Oprah Book Club's bestseller, and general bestseller. It has now been followed up by his book, The Nickel Boys, which I'll be going into more detail in a moment, which was published last year in 2019. When novelist venerable novelist John Updike was reviewing Mr. Whitehead's first book The Intuitionist in the New Yorker back in 1999 he called Colson Whitehead an ambitious scintillating strikingly original writer adding that he will be he is one to watch this 31-year-old which was Mr. Colson Whitehead at the time, Harvard graduate with the vivid name of Colson Whitehead. And Mr. Updike's predictions definitely have come true. Mr. Whitehead's nonfiction essays and reviews have appeared in numerous publications, including The New York Times, The New Yorker, Granta, and Harper's. His non-fiction account of the 2011 World Series of Poker, you can see that Mr. Whitehead is quite um, an eclectic writer. He's able to write humor. He's able to write history or historical fiction. Um, so this book, which was called the 2011, a book about the 2011 World Series of Poker was called The Noble Hustle, Poker, Beef Jerky and Death. And it was published in 2014, also to great critical acclaim. He has taught at Princeton University, NYU, University of Houston, Columbia, Brooklyn College, Hunter College, as well as been writer in residence at such schools as Vassar College, University of Richmond, and the University of Wyoming. In spring of 2015, Mr. Whitehead joined the New York Times Magazine to write a column on language. His 2016 novel, The Underground Railroad, was a selection of Oprah's book club and was also chosen by then-President Barack Obama as one of the five books on his summer vacation reading list. It was awarded a, new, a number of medals as well, as I said, as the it won him the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in 2017. Whitehead's seventh novel, The Nickel Boys, was published in July of 2019, and it has recently won the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. So this is really quite an accomplishment. His last two novels, both The Underground Railroad and now The Nickel Boys, both received the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. Currently, Mr. Whitehead says that he is working on an eighth novel, which he originally conceived of and began before he wrote The Nickel Boys. And this work in progress is a yet as yet untitled crime novel set in Harlem during the 1960s. Mr. Whitehead's much hyped new novel, The Nickel Boys, is in some ways a continuation of his reassessment of African-American history that he began with the Underground Railroad. But The Nickel Boys is not really a sequel. Despite its focus on a subsequent chapter of black experience, it's a surprisingly different kind of novel. The linguistic, um, I guess you could say antics or, or the, the linguistic devices that have long dazzled Mr. Whitehead's readers in his previous books have been set aside here for a style that feels definitely more restrained as well as transparent. The Nickel Boys draws its inspiration from incidents of abuse at the real life Dozier School for Boys. That's the real life name of this school which it was fictionalized in this book as the Nickel Academy. It is a now-closed reformatory school in Florida that operated for over a century. In fact, the school was functioned for 111 years. Though the facility opened with apparently good intentions to bring a more enlightened approach to the treatment of troubled and orphaned youngsters, it devolved into an underworld of torture, rape, and murder. Just last year, Florida officials, this is in 2019, Florida officials announced plans to search the campus of this school for yet more bodies hidden in unmarked graves. Mr. Whitehead, in his acknowledgments at the end of the book, explains that he only learned about this place in 2014, when he read a lengthy expository article in the Tampa Bay Times. And you can read this article. It's really very interesting. I did. If you search the the name of the school, the Dozier School for Boys in Florida, and you read this article, and you see where Mr. Whitehead got the material for this story, Mr. Whitehead's novel opens with a similar announcement about a state investigation into crimes once committed at a shuttered reformatory school in the book he calls it the Nickel Academy. Archaeology students are surveying the old campus and have discovered an unmarked grave that had been neatly erased from history. I just like to read you a little bit from the prologue of the book so you get an idea of Mr. Whitehead's writing style. Even in death, the boys were troubled. The secret graveyard lay on the north side of the nickel campus in a patchy acre of wild grass between the old work barn and the school dump. The field had been a grazing pasture when the school operated a dairy, selling milk to local customers, one of the state of Florida's schemes to relieve the taxpayers' burden of the boys' upkeep. The developers of the office park had earmarked the field for a lunch plaza with four water features and a concrete bandstand for the occasional event. The discovery of the bodies was an expensive complication for the real estate company awaiting the all-clear from the environmental study and for the state's attorney, which had recently closed an investigation into the abuse stories. Now they had to start a new inquiry, establish the identities of the deceased and the manner of death, and there was no telling when the whole damn place could be raised, cleared, and neatly erased from history, which everyone agreed was long overdue. All the boys knew about that rotten spot. It took a student from the University of South Florida to bring it to the rest of the world, decades after the first boy was tied up in a potato sack and dumped there. When asked how she spotted the graves, Jody said, the student The dirt looked wrong. The sunken earth, the scrabbly weeds. Jody and the rest of the archaeology students from the university had been excavating the school's official cemetery for months. The state couldn't dispose of the property until the remains were properly resettled, and the archaeology students needed field credits. With stakes and wire, they divided the area into search grids, dug with hand shovels and heavy equipment. After sifting the soil, bones and belt buckles and soda bottles lay scattered on their trays in an inscrutable exhibit. They called this a school, Professor Carmine said. You can hide a lot in an acre in the dirt. One of the boys or one of their relatives tipped off the media. The national press picked up the story, and people got their first real look at the reform school. Nickel had been closed for three years, so if you remember, I said that the school closed in 2011, and this excavation was was taking place in 2014. And this explained how the grounds had been vandalized, standard teenage vandalism. Even the most innocent scene, a mess hall or the football field, came out sinister. No photographic trickery necessary. The footage was unsettling. Shadows crept and trembled at the corners and each stain or mark looked like dried blood. As if every image caught by the video rig emerged with its dark nature exposed. The nickel you could see going in and then the nickel you couldn't see coming out. And that's the bit from the prologue that I wanted to read to you. So this is how the book opens. Whitehead, Mr. Whitehead returns to that contemporary story of how the archaeology, this archaeological dig is taking place by these students. He returns to that storyline periodically throughout his book, The Nickel Boys, But his real interest lies in what happened back in the 1960s. The hero of his novel is a young boy by the name of Elwood Curtis, a painfully earnest African-American teenager. He is smart, hardworking, and self-righteous enough to impress his elders and irritate his friends. He considers a record album of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.'s speeches the best gift he has ever received. And i just like to read you another bit from the first chapter of the book talking about this gift, this gift of a record that he received from his grandmother. Elwood received the best gift of his life on Christmas Day 1962, even if the ideas it put in his head were, were his undoing. This is, a, this, is a, this is such a sentence. Martin Luther King at Zion Hill was the name of the album, the only album he owned, and it never left the turntable. His grandmother Harriet had a few gospel records, which she only played when the world discovered a new mean way to work on her and Elwood was not allowed to listen to the Motown groups or popular songs like that on account of their licentious nature. His grandmother was a very religious and stern woman. She brought him up properly. The rest of his presents that year were clothes a new red sweater, socks, and he certainly wore those out, but nothing endured such good and constant use as the record. Every scratch and pop it gathered over the months was a mark of his enlightenment, tracking each time he entered into a new understanding of the Reverend's words, the crackle of truth. That's how Mr. Mister Whitehead he describes this record, this record, this prized possession of young Elwood's life. He listens to the speeches of Martin Luther King, of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. over and over again. He reads about the protests and the bus boycotts in Life magazine, and he dreams of one day joining those brave witnesses in the civil rights cause. He knows that the battle will be hard, but he is convinced that justice will not forever be deferred nor victory delayed. From the start, Mr. Whitehead emphasizes Elwood's naivete. The boy refuses to acknowledge that this is a culture designed to humiliate and crush African Americans. Even when he is arrested, and this is what happens in the story, Elwood is arrested, he he is hitchhiking one day when he's very excited because he's going to visit the new school and he's a very smart boy and he's he's been mentored by a teacher and he has an opportunity to start at a new technical college. His mistake here is unknowingly, innocently of course, that he hit, he takes a ride with the black man driving a stolen car. And when the police stop the car, the man who stole the car, um, accuses Elwood of being, I mean, that's the inference in the, in the passage in the book. And Elwood is sent to reform school. That's how he ends up being sent to the Nickel Academy. And throughout all of this, so even when Elwood is arrested on this flimsiest of evidence, I mean, mistakenly arrested that he still clings to his faith that goodness will be rewarded and that the rule of law will prevail. The Nickel Academy, as Mr. Whitehead presents it, is a place of well-groomed exteriors and encouraging principles. The superintendent lays out a system of discipline intended to lead young inmates, who are called students, euphemistically, toward greater responsibility and improved behavior. They put the boys' fates in their own hands, one of the staff explains. It's up to you. This is what Elwood is told when he first gets taken to the Nickel Academy. The whole enterprise sounds as American as apple pie and Ben Franklin. Elwood consoles himself with the notion that he just had to keep doing what he had always done, act right. And if he would act right, then success would follow. We the readers, of course... a feeling that this will be otherwise. At the end of his first day at Nickel Academy, Elwood falls asleep to a bone-chilling sound that we know will soon shatter his tender hopes. But that doesn't really matter in this book because it's not meant to be a story of suspense. We already come to this story, we the readers, knowing what lurks in the vestry, in the dormitory, the detention center, the jail cell, in any closed and unsupervised place where people are subjected to the whims of perverse men. But, and this is what makes the book bearable to read, almost bearable, some places not quite, that he reveals the clandestine atrocities of the Nickel Academy with just enough restraint to keep us in a state of wincing dread. He is superb at creating allusions to things, such as pain. When he refers to pain, it's a reference to a fractured wrist chained to a tree. And we know in our imagination, we can imagine what went along with this fractured wrist chained to a tree. And that's the true horror of the story. So this Elwood, our Elwood Curtis, the the hero, the protagonist of the story, is when we, as I say, when we first meet him, he's a diligent senior at a segregated Tallahassee High School that at the time functioned like so many others as if the supreme court had never ruled on brown versus the board of education and this intelligent and hard-working credit to his race as elwood was known who stars in the his high school students annual emancipation play this boy who clings so hard to the illusion that the free world is within his grasp too. He perseveres. He tries. He came from a home that may have had no television, but with the life magazines that he read and the recording, the only record, as I said, that he owns of Martin Luther King and Zion Hill, this is what keeps him going. And yet he is nonetheless sent to this reform school this horrible, horrible place where the staff, where the violent offenders were the staff. And there was, as, as Mr. Whitehead describes, there was a white section, there was a white dormitory, a, a dormitory for the white boys and a dormitory for the black boys. So there were white boys there as well, also treated viciously, although, as he describes it, allocated marginally better food and slightly less hard labor than their segregated black peers. One of the best scenes in the story, one of the most powerful scenes, is a scene of the annual black versus white boys boxing match. And this is an addictive blood sport for the salivating locals. This is a, it's fixed. Of course, the results are fixed, which Elwood, again, the naive, innocent that he is, doesn't realize this, Um, but the locals come and they watch this that's one of the most and the sound of the the sound of the fights and you can just imagine this when you're reading this chapter whitehead wrestles with the words colson whitehead the author wrestles with the words of dr martin luther king throughout the story these words that are so firmly implanted in young elwood now a resident of this horrific Nickel Academy. And it's so hard for, it seems hard for the author of the story to reconcile the words of Dr. King, which were, and this is a quote from Martin Luther King's speech, Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities after midnight hours and drag us out onto some wayside road and beat us and leave us half dead and we will still love you. These are Dr. Martin Luther King's famous words, which Elwood is trying to keep in his mind as he lives these years at this, at this horrible nickel academy. But the question remains, and this is the question that the author is grappling with in this book, how can these words of Dr. Martin Luther King be true? How can a Black man trust, a Black person trust, or anyone trust, in the ultimate decency that lived in every heart if they see what is going on around them? If, as Elwood sees, they are only out to break you. Could it possibly be true that hate cannot drive out hate, that only love can do that? As Dr. Martin Luther King said, what a thing to ask Elwood can't help thinking as as the story goes on. What an impossible thing. And so the story continues. The story continues. It describes the boxing match. It describes the cruelty that the boys endure. It describes what happens to Elwood when he and his friend, who is a much more street smart and savvy and practical boy by the name of Turner, who befriends our naive, innocent Elwood, and the two of them try, they try to escape, but escape. It doesn't happen very easily because any of the boys who escape are chased after, of course, and usually brought back. Whether they're brought back alive or not is something that happens in the story. But the real focus of the novel, and, and while we're reading it, Whitehead just keeps us in this state, as I said, with he writes with just enough restraint to keep us reading, able to read, but in this state of dread. The novel's real focus, though, is not this relentless flow of abuse that Elwood is living through at the Nickel Academy, but his reaction to it, because as I said, he keeps thinking of Dr. King's remarks about the degradations of Jim Crow and the need to transform that degradation into action. Elwood tells himself, I am stuck here, but I'll make the best of it. You could almost cry when you read this line. He persists in imagining that he can chisel each roadblock into another stepping stone along his inspiring path beyond adversity. How, the novel wonders, will a young man like Elwood flush with Dr. King's words and imprinted with the nobility of the U.S. Constitution, respond to the repudiation of every decent expectation to what Whitehead describes as indiscriminate spite. How, in other words, can African Americans endure in a country that preaches such idealism but has delivered such misery?" The Nickel Boys feels feels like a smaller novel than The Underground Railroad. It's only just a bit over 200 pages, but ultimately it's a tougher one, even a meaner one. It shares conversation with works by authors such as James Baldwin, Ralph Ellison, and especially Martin Luther King. In The Trials, of its hero, young Elwood. Whitehead dares to test the great preacher's doctrine of inexorable love. Whitehead, it seems he is questioning Dr. King's Dr. King's doctrine of if you just love, if you just love them enough, if you just you know, turn the other cheek, then eventually right and justice will prevail. Will it really be so? It seems that Mr. Whitehead is asking in this book. King promised his white oppressors that we will still love you. In the comfort of his grandmother's house, until he gets taken to the notorious Nickel Academy, Elwood found that audacious promise, powerful and inspiring. But in the factory of agony that is the Nickel Academy, he finally realizes what a thing to ask. And what a troubling novel this is. It shreds any easy confidence in the triumph of goodness and leaves in its place a hard and bitter truth about the ongoing American experiment. One that we are seeing the results of these very days and weeks. Thank you very much for listening and I hope to meet you again at next month's Book Talk. The following is brought to you by Recreation CSL and is an excerpt from Broadway Happy Hour with Nick Burgess, presented by the Siegel Center for Performing Arts.
2: Welcome back to Broadway Happy Hour. I'm so glad you're all here with me tonight. Um, moving right along, our first request of the night came from Emily and Andrea Simmons, and this is Good Morning Baltimore. She said, can you do some Mamma Mia? And I said, Mamma Mia, of course. song from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and I was thinking about doing the Oompa Loompa song, and then I was like, no, that's too weird for Broadway happy hour. Granted, I love the Oompa Loompa song, but um, there's this gorgeous uh, song called Pure Imagination, so I thought we could do it all together. Pure Imagination from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Come with me, and you'll be in a world of Take a look and you'll see into your imagination. We'll begin with a spin, traveling in the world of my creation. What we'll see will define explanation. If you want to view paradise, simply look around. from Dirty Rotten Scandals. Gorgeous jazz ballad, music and lyrics by David Yazbeck, and it goes like this, this is, nothing is too wonderful to be true. Look at the way the moon behaves. Look at the way she paints a silver ribbon on the waves. One thing I've learned and I'll share. Every day. This is for Joanne Lipin. Joanne, ça c'est And it's Think of Me. Here we go. A gorgeous song from Phantom. Think of me, think of me fondly when we've said goodbye. Remember me once in a while. Please promise me you'll try. When you find that once again, you But please promise me that sometimes was asking for uh, this gorgeous Cole Porter tune, one of his first hits um, from a show called Paris the Musical. And it uh, was in 1928. Can you imagine? Almost a hundred years ago. And it's pretty racy for like a hundred years ago from today. Anyway, this is Let's Fall in Love. Birds do it, bees do it. Even educated bees do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's fall in love. The Dutch in old Amsterdam do it. Not to mention the Finns. Folks in Siam do it. Think of Siamese twins. This was uh, from Marta Alexandra. And she said, I would love to hear My Man from Funny Girl. And I absolutely love the song. Which if you do the stage show of Funny Girl, you're not allowed to do this song. It was only um, in the movie. And when you get the rights to Funny Girl, there's like a page at the front that says, stop, do not use the song My Man in your production. It is illegal. So, and it's such a great tune. Barbara, this one's for you. Oh, my man, I love him so. He'll never know. All oh, my life is just despair. But I don't care. When he takes me in his arms, the world is bright. Alright. What's the difference if I say. This one goes out to you. And this is uh, Time Warp from Rocky Horror. And Holly Greco, my friend Holly, who's an incredible choreographer, she also asked for Time Warp. So it goes out to both of you. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely, not for very much.
1: of Broadway Happy Hour with Nick Burgess presented by the Siegel Center for Performing Arts and brought to you by the Parks and Recreation Department of cote St. Luke.
0: Well that is today's episode of the cote St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service. If you are listening at 2 p.m. on our phone line we have another special item for you. Have a great day.